0: sports radio 104.3 the fan every saturday morning it's terry wickstrom outdoors terry takes you inside the outdoors you know hunting fishing camping it's terry wickstrom outdoors now here's terry good morning this is terry wickstrom and we have a full show lined up for you today we're going to cover a lot of topics obviously we're going to cover some fishing because that's the hot topic right now we're going to talk both some ice fishing and some open water fishing. As we get into the program, we're going to find out with this, you know, we've had some warm weather, we're going to get two or three cold days again, a nice will stay cold, and then we're going to get a little warmer. It's going to change some of the ice fishing opportunities, especially here on the Front Range, but it's also, we're going to see some open water opportunities. We're going to talk about that, both tailwaters and the rivers and even some lakes stay open year-round, so we'll cover that later. We're going to talk snowshoeing in the second hour. A lot of people are new to the outdoors, uh, just wanting to get out there and and try things and get an experience. You know, COVID has kind of kept us in, and it's carried right through into the winter with people not wanting to be inside. So snowshoeing is a great activity you can do in Colorado. We're going to help you get started with that. And we're going to talk some turkey hunting today, too. Along with shooting Colorado clays, we'll talk about patterning your gun. But right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the National Wild Turkey Federation is Mike Llewellyn. Good morning, Mike.
1: Good morning. How are you doing this morning, Terry?
0: You know what? I'm doing great. It's uh, I love living in Colorado. There's so much going on every time of the year. And I know turkey season doesn't actually start till into April, but if people are, especially if you're new and you haven't hunted before, you almost got to start thinking about your preparation now. So I thought I'd have you come on. In fact, the draw, if people want to draw for turkey permits, the deadline is February 3rd. But we'll get into that because uh, there's a lot of t- opportunities to hunt turkeys in Colorado and the surrounding states without getting into the draw. And I know you're an avid turkey hunter, Um Do you go to the draw, or do you just hunt mostly over-the-counter? You know, I
1: primarily do over-the-counter. I have a lot of people that question me about that, and, you know, they're always talking about this unit and that unit. Well, a lot of them are hard to get into, and you can't always get a tag through the draw every year. And, you know, 75 80% of the state is an over-the-counter unit, you know, just like elk. And so I primarily just do over-the-counter, uh, but we can't land more than anything.
0: Well, you know, I, kudos to you for that, too, because somebody wanting to get in may not understand the draw. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one thing if <clears> – <throat> excuse me, folks. If you do want to get into the draw, um, you can get into the draw. You can get a preference point, even if you don't draw, by entering – And then you can build up to one of these other units. But you're exactly right. If you went back 20, 25 years ago, I remember when I started covering turkey hunting on this show back in the 90s, and Bob Saley came in and talked about his book, Sultans of the Spring. And back then there were a hardcore group of turkey hunters in Colorado, but there weren't a lot of turkeys, and the only way you could hunt was by the draw. But things have really changed. The sport has expanded like you said, 80% of Colorado can be hunted with an over-the-counter license. And we're getting more and more people into it. And I'm going to talk to you about getting more and more people into it in uh, just a minute. But when you, we have two kinds of turkeys in Colorado. Why don't you tell us about those?
1: Yeah, so we primarily, uh, the majority of the state, especially the mountain areas, are the Merriam turkeys and you can usually identify them by the white tips on the on their tail feathers. Um more to the east and southeast area, we do have a lot of rios mixed in. Um you know there are some certain areas if you really need to get a rio and that's what you want to concentrate on, you get down oh farther south and east, Trinidad out uh um Lamar area out in there, you find a lot of Rio's. They're starting to work their way up north. Some we've been seeing some more down here in uh, Douglas and El Paso County the last few years. Um, you were very correct well, on you know those numbers. That big you know good point you brought up because the numbers for turkeys in Colorado has really exploded the last ten to fifteen years.
0: Oh, it really hasn't. Now is where the disclaimer comes in. Because I remember 15 years ago or so asking whoever the current president of the National Wild Turkey Federation was, what do you tell people who want to get into turkey hunting? He goes, don't, it'll ruin your life. (laughs) (laughs) There's, you know, Mike, there's something about the calling sports and we'll get into techniques and what you need to do to go turkey hunting. But there's something about like calling out but the calling sports in general when you have to get in that stealth mode get into that animal's comfort zone and then communicate with them there's something you can't explain to people that really becomes addictive doesn't it it does it
1: does and that you know i i always like to go back to you know i grew up in eastern kansas and when i took up archery whitetail hunting that was uh, you know a completely different type of hunt and that's where you know you have to be patient you have to get in tune with nature and know your surroundings and it's a whole lot different than you know just traipsing around you know carrying a rifle hoping you see something
0: no i agree completely well let's i want to talk about some other aspects of turkey hunting but let's let's talk to some of the people who just want to get started turkey hunting Uh, the first thing obviously you're going to need is a gun now, later on in the program in the second hour, Colorado Clays is going to talk about patterning and the, the facilities they have for that. But I know that's important to you. But what do I need on a gun to hunt turkey? What should I buy? Do I need a special gun? Can I use a shotgun I have? What What's the minimum and what's the, the ideal?
1: You know, there's um, most any shotgun will work. Preferably, you'll want one that will shoot three-inch or three-and-a-half-inch shells. Because you want to use a number four, five or six, three inch at a minimum. Um, you know, and the biggest thing is a pattern. You everybody, you know, needs to pattern their gun. You know, get you a turkey patterning target. You know, you aim right in the center of the neck and see where your pellets are hitting. Um, you know, not all shotguns. Some people are kind of deceived and think all shotguns. You know, since they don't have sights on them. You know, like a scope or anything, they're all the same, and they are not all the same. And you need to learn what your gun does, where it shoots, and each shell. Sometimes, you know, if you're just getting in, you may want to buy several different types of shells. I use a lot of different stuff, a lot of different guns. I don't want to be an advocate for any particular company or anything like that, and they all vary. You know, one shell will shoot great out of this gun doesn't shoot worth a darn out of this gun, you know.
0: Um, you're exact, you know, uh, you're exact no, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: I don't say a perfect example is my little brother told me he's got have got he's got four daughters. They're all big turkey hunters in Kansas. And he told me a few years ago, he says, we decided we were going to take every one of our shotguns out and pattern it. And he's like, I've got all these expensive shotguns that I've bought in the last ten years and everything else. And he says, "You know what gun patterned the best out of the whole bunch? My old Remington 870. You know yep. that he had had for 27 what? years. He said it patterned better than all the others. You know,
0: yeah. And we're going to talk more about that when Colorado Clay's joins us in the second hour. He's been actually Jr. Out there has been patterning shotguns for several years now and gathering information on chokes and different shots and what changes when you change your position." from sitting to standing. So there's a lot there. But you need a Absolutely. shotgun, but but a good solid 12-gauge, you're telling me, uh, probably get by. If you're going to buy a special turkey gun, we'll get more into that on shows coming up. But obviously you need a shotgun. If you're just getting started, want to keep your investment down. So I've got my gun. Now what do I need? Where do I go from there? What are my other necessities?
1: Well, you need um, good ammo. You You've got to have good cover. You know, um, like you and I were talking the other day, uh, you know, you brought up the fact somebody had told you if, if turkey could smell, we would never shoot one. We'd never see one. And yeah, it's absolutely right. But they've got eyesight like no other. So a must is, is good camo, good cover. You need, you know, if you're not going to be in a blind, um, which a lot of people do not, you know, you need something to cover your face, gloves. You've got to blend in with your surroundings. Um, you've got to get, you know, a couple good calls and practice with them and get comfortable with them. You know, a lot of people, they, you know, they swear by the mouth calls. They won't use anything else. Well, beginners, you know, that's a little harder, takes a lot more practice. There's nothing wrong with a good old fashioned box call or a a slate pot call. You know, just get something that you can use that sounds, you know, halfway decent at least. Um a, a you know one or two generic even decoys you know something you can carry in your pack or something or you know just strap to your waist and carry around with you um is 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 a good thing to have, not always necessary, but a lot of times I'll carry one around. I may not even use it that day, but I still keep one with me
0: i I think the calling is something that you wanna get started on probably almost right away. So, that you can get used to doing it a little bit. If some of the calls, like you said, box calls and slate calls, aren't that difficult, but it still takes some practice. Now, the one reason a lot of people recommend a mouth call is because they can keep calling and they don't have to set it down to lift up their gun and have motion. It might spook the turkey, but you're right. Mouth calls are difficult. And if you don't feel comfortable, you're better off not making a bad call, right? You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> the, the, exactly. So, we can do that, okay, so now, the season doesn't actually start till like the middle of April April and, <clears throat> okay, so you'd need to do some scouting like any hunting now, you can go out and hunt, we're not telling people don't go hunting if you don't have time to spend a lot of time in the field but really temper your expectations on what your success rate will be. And turkey hunting may be the epitome of that. If you don't do some scouting and have some idea about where you're hunting, it's going to be very difficult. So how how long before the season do you start really getting serious about scouting? Two, three weeks? Yeah, a couple weeks. A lot of it depends on the type
1: of area you want to hunt. You know, the higher elevations, you're going to have more snow. It may be hard you know, to get in uh you know, even a couple weeks before the season. You know, a lot of the guys I know that like to go up at the real high elevations don't really worry about hunting till midway through the season because of the snow. You know, down here in these lower elevations, you know, if you can get out two or three times, you know, starting a couple weeks before season, try to f- locate where, you know, some turkeys might be and give you an idea of where you need to go opening weekend or something like that. Um, just everybody wants to keep in mind, with hunting these mountain m- merriams, they travel a lot. So you can go out one evening, and you're like, oh, they're right there. I'm going to be right here tomorrow morning, and you can go right there the next morning and not even hear or see a bird. They cover yeah, up takes- to about a 12 square miles.
0: Yeah, it's it. There's a lot involved in it, but it is an addicting sport. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. But a couple things I do want to do. We're going to do more shows on turkey hunting. We'll get you back on. We'll get Bob Hicks on. We'll get some other people from other resources on. As we get closer to the season, we'll get people more and more up to speed. Now remember, if you want to draw, the draw deadline is February 3rd. Even if you don't I draw, you can get a you can get a preference. I believe it is. And, I'm, I'm sorry. The yes. second, okay, I thought yeah. it was third. Anyway, it's early in February, and if you if you don't draw or don't want to draw, there's plenty of opportunity on over the counter licenses. But a great way to get into any group or any sport, any activities, is to join an affinity group and start talking to the members, getting the publications, and you'll you'll just learn so much so quickly. And the Wild Turkey Federation is a great example of that. How do people join, and what kind of resources will they find at the Wild Turkey Federation?
1: You know, the easiest thing is to go to nwtf.org. And from there, you can select the state, find out events going on, you know, members, you know, leaders in in your state, things like that. There are also a lot of resources on the website about um, hunting turkeys in various locations and um you can get there nwtf.org and you can kind of get to anywhere you want to go turkey related you know in colorado or elsewhere right from that site
0: all right my friend mike thank you for joining us all great information as we get closer to the season we'll get you back on and we'll start giving people more precise tips thank you for joining us
1: sounds great thank you
0: you bet. Mike Llewellyn from the uh, Wild, National Wild Turkey Federation. And, you know, there's a lot of turkey hunting information on Colorado Parks and Wildlife's uh, website, too, so check that out. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up. We're going to talk about a way you could make some money catching lake trout in Colorado right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Ah! Outdoors from outdoors is brought to you in part by jack's outdoor gear 65 years of helping people enjoy the outdoors check out a jack store near you let's go right to the phones and joining us from colorado parks and wildlife is uh, dan brock good morning dan good morning great to be with you terry uh, good to have you on again. You have an event going on that you did last year that was very successful. Now, we're going to talk about the status of Blue Mesa Reservoir quite a bit. We're also going to talk about some a new management philosophy that's really, I've seen, used in a couple different situations. You know, people think you guys, stock some fish occasionally and set limits and then you just drive away and hope somebody catches one and of course when i don't catch one i blame you guys for not managing the lakes properly it could never be my lack of angling skill but <laughs> but in all in all in all seriousness um you guys are charged with managing our bodies of water you as an aquatic biologist to get the best use of the resource and the best conservation efforts with those waters, and they're complex bodies of water that management and Blue Mesa. There's a, there's been an ongoing uh, management issue over the last two decades or more about lake trout versus kokanee, and it's kind of uh, they're they're so intertwined because without a good kokanee population, you can't grow giant lake trout. But if you get too many lake trout in the lake, they eat the kokanee. So you've come up with an event to try to balance that out. Tell us about it. Yeah, we have
2: seen expanded lake trout, natural reproduction. So we saw the lake trout population grow in the mid-90s. and So we did encourage angler harvest back then, but uh, saw that population continue to grow. So starting in 2009, we did go out in the fall and net. Uh, smaller lake trout and try to get that population where we wanted it to be. Uh, that effort though, uh, you know, occasionally we catch larger fish and most of the time April to release those well, but uh, we really wanted to include anglers in the solution a little bit better and uh, shift from that work to uh, having help from anglers to keep the lake trout population where we want it to be. So we started in 2020 a lake trout tournament to, uh, increased angler harvest of small lake trout with really the goal to maintain both kokanee numbers where we want them to be and trophy potential for lake trout
0: no you're absolutely right and this is such a great i know they're doing this with some other fish on other lakes at different times of the year too and this is such a great use of the angler because not only do you get them involved hunting and fishing has always been a management tool but you get them involved in a way that they can make it fun and catch more fish, and you you use that resource and let people have fun doing it. I'm just really all for this. So um, tell us how this tournament works. How can somebody win some money, and what are the dates? Uh, so the tournament starts
2: February 1st, runs through July, and to participate, fishermen can uh, catch and keep small lake trout. They do need to be lake trout smaller than 24 inches and they can fillet the fish or process the fish and just keep the heads and uh, we will have freezers at three locations at blue mesa at lake fork marina alt creek marina and at the isola marina uh, or isola boat ramp that anglers can drop those heads off at to enter the tournament Uh, we'll also have freezers set up at our gunnison and montrose Colorado Parks and Wildlife Offices. So anglers can turn in their fish heads and we have tagged 21 lake trout and so we will be scanning those for those fish and if an angler turns in a tagged fish they'll receive $250. Also for every head that's turned in uh, we will uh, anglers will have a chance at a $200 prize and we'll be giving 20 of those out with One entry for every head that's turned in. And then we have prizes for the top three most caught categories to reward the anglers that are out there and uh, really helping us to be effective through this program by um, harvesting uh, bigger numbers of fish.
0: Now, is there a place on the website people can go to get specifics of where to take the fish and the regulations and the prizes? We do
2: have that information on our website, on our Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. So it can be found there. And we are also advertising in, in local papers and can always call our Gunnison or Montrose offices for more information as well.
0: And, you know, and. I know there's no limit on the smaller lake trout. And, in fact, I think you told me there's no limit under 32 inches. But, you know, once a fish gets bigger than 24, 25 inches, they're starting to approach where they could grow into that trophy range. takes a lot of time. And, you know, keeping those 14 to 20, up to 24 inches you guys are paying for, that's the best eating of the lake trout, isn't it? That's the best table fare.
2: Yeah, I think they're, the, the – Folks that are eating them do feel like those are less fatty and are really good to eat. And uh, also, those those are really the fish that are the most numerous, as well as the ones that eat the most kokanee. So if we can reduce their numbers, we're really effective in improving kokanee survival and keeping that overall lake trout population where we want it to be and to support that trophy lake trout fishery
0: as well. And speaking of trophy lake trout, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the largest lake trout that come out of Blue Mesa around 50 pounds? Just over 15 pounds, uh, 50 pounds, 5.6 ounces. Wow. What And so there's some tremendous trophy fish there. And, folks, this is lake trout, and there's a number of lakes that provide this, but if you want to do this and get, get some money, catching a few lake trout for table fare, there's nothing wrong with harvesting. In fact, you want them to harvest all the small ones they catch, right? We do,
2: and really the the fish that we're targeting and what, what we're seeing, most anglers are turning in fish that are 16 to 18 inches, up to about 20 inches, and that's where the greatest number of uh, lake trout, uh, they're in those size ranges, and anglers are real effective at catching those small lake trout. Those are the fish yet, that we like to target. No, go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, it, targeting those small fish, like it's – really effective at reducing the overall level of predation, but natural reproduction at Blue Mesa is significant, and so there's a lot of potential to harvest small lake trout and not really impact the overall lake trout fishery. So we're not not real concerned about over-harvesting those small fish.
0: And, and you know, one of the reasons is to balance this with the kokanee. Now, we know there's been other issues with kokanee, too, like gill lice and things like that, What is the status of the kokanee at Blue Mesa right now? I mean, you've successfully reduced some of the lake trout population, but what's going on with the kokanee?
2: Well, in 2020,
0: we did see a decline in adult
2: kokanee, and we did expect that to a certain degree because 2018 was a significant drought year where Blue Mesa was drawn down really to historic low levels. And quite often we do see lower numbers of adult kokanee two years later. So we did expect to see a decline, uh, but our egg take in 2020 was the lowest we'd seen since 82. So uh, there are reasons to be optimistic, though, for the future. We did see a lot of sub-adult kokanee last year, so we expect to see some
0: improvement in 2021. And hopefully we'll get some water going into this year. That always helps, as you said. Have the gill lice seemed to have had an impact, or has it been the lake trout more, or has it been a combination?
2: We, we are concerned about gill lice in our kokanee at Blue Mesa. And we've seen gill lice numbers per mature kokanee in particular continue to rise through last year. And we're taking a close look at gill lice on kokanee and the impact at Blue Mesa as we've seen, population-level impacts at other waters in Colorado, such as 11 Mile in the late 2000s. So we are concerned. We are taking a close look. We have seen some positive news. It looks like with subadult adult kokanee, the gill ice numbers uh, didn't increase from 2019 to 2020. And we do see a fair number of adult kokanee that still have pretty low numbers of gill ice. So there may be some potential to try to uh, even raise. Uh, we, we are establishing a kokanee broodstock, and we may use those fish with low numbers of gill ice to try to uh, establish more of those fish in the reservoir if there is some resistance to gill ice in kokanee. And,
0: and gill ice by itself is very seldom the what causes the fatality. Isn't that right? It, it stresses them, and then they they succumb to other things. Is that usually what happens?
2: Right. Yeah. Normally gill ice don't kill kokanee outright. It's usually that gill ice affects the fish's ability to respirate and to use oxygen in the water as a lot of the gill ice will attach to the gills. So it really makes it more difficult for them to, to utilize oxygen in the water. And it's usually that combined with other factors such as low oxygen levels or warm water within the reservoir that could cause kokanee to die.
0: And, well, right now, we've got to wrap this up, but would you say there's still a very substantial population of kokanee in the reservoir and people should be encouraged about going out to fish for them?
2: Absolutely. And as I mentioned, we do expect to see some improvement in 2021 and hope to continue working to to improve overall numbers here over the next few years.
0: And what will help is for people to go out and catch those small lake trout February 1st through July, make some money, have some fun. And you say there's information on Parks and Wildlife's website on that. You bet. Yep. All right. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's uh, Dan Brock with great information, great opportunity. Go up and catch a bunch of those 15 to 18 inch lake trout at Blue Mesa. Incredible table fare, great action. Whether you catch them through the ice or open water, you'll have a great time and it'll be a lot of fun. Speaking of lots of action, having a great time, we're going to take a quick time out. And then Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to give you a lot of tips on where you can get out fishing both in ice and open water. Right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1043 The Fan. You know, Kyle, you're going to have Karen just thinking about beaches and bugging me now for the next few weeks after you played that.
1: Yeah, well, she has to put up with you being on the radio, so this is the best we can do for her.
0: Yeah, watch out there, pal. Hey, you're listening to Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3, The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us, one of our favorite resources, especially when it comes to fishing, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin.
1: Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, Always great to have you on. You're a wealth of information. Hey, um, weather's changing. We had warm weather, cold weather. We're going to have some cold, going to have some warm. Uh, a lot of people wanting to get out ice fishing. I want to talk to you about ice fishing and open water, but let's start. What are you hearing with ice fishing opportunities? And, you know, there's a few places we want to really make, tell people to be cautious.
1: Definitely. So a lot of people are eager to get out on the ice still at this point and not wanting to drive as far as uh, it may be necessary, but some of this Metro ice, there's still some ice that if you're careful is generally safe. The South end of Chatfield is okay. Um, Cherry Creek is all right. Um, But certainly with some of this warm weather, we just, can't stress enough about having caution uh, as you're heading out there lakes like chatfield being an old gravel quarry have some pretty severe springs and areas and and without the uh the proper tools like a spud bar and certainly a life jacket and ice picks uh, it can turn pretty negative in a hurry
0: you know what i i want to say again with the spud bar I, you know, we talk over the course when we're getting started ice fishing about augers and what you should take out. But when you're fishing metro ice in a mild winter like we have here, you don't even really need an auger. A spud bar is so important to check the ice as you go, and you can use it to make your hole to fish with, Austin. Yeah, I mean, you uh, there's some some area with
1: potentially eight inches of ice in certain areas, but a lot of it's certainly going to be thinner, and, and uh, it just is is imperative that that we're using this and and i i'm selling a lot of minnows selling a lot of tackle to folks and and uh certainly emphasizing this on a daily basis but i want to continue to do that because we certainly don't need anyone uh going through the ice and and just everyone needs to to make sure to to be mindful of the situation
0: so where are people catching some fish
1: so definitely up in the mountains has been a better bite than on the front range the front range has been largely pretty darn difficult uh the bite's been not fantastic really uh anywhere up and down the front range with the exception of a a few reports we've been hearing but up in the mountains we've certainly been doing good in areas and and this has kind of been a theme for this entire year with uh this pandemic going on but getting off of the beaten path a little bit i can't emphasize it enough getting away from places that are heavily pressured and and heading to places like Red Feather Lakes, that's been fantastic as far as numbers. Uh, the ice is really good up there, and, and it didn't take really any pressure for the majority of the late part of the summer due to the Cameron Peak fire, but the fire likely missed those lakes up there, and, and the fishing has been really good with small rat pinkies, little tube jigs, and some things we've been doing lately, late in the season like this, is shifting to some tungsten Euro nymph flies uh, to, to get a little more of a natural presentation. But that's been a very good option right there. Uh, Lake trout has been getting going pretty good. Green Mountain's been producing really good numbers of fish, not great size up there, but williamsport has been having a little bit of uh, good size mixed in with some good numbers. So both those lakes have been productive with your standard tube jig presentations, but also marabou jigs have been really working well uh, in in addition to those tube jigs. So certainly if you're not getting a lot of fish, on your basic glows and your whites think about switching and going more to your Browns or something like I mentioned a little more natural, like those marabou jigs and a Brown or a black.
0: Yeah. I, I, I've, um, I want to make a comment on that right, right away. I think you talked, I was reflecting back to some of my days within fishermen and Doug Stangy years ago. And I used to have an, an argument because, I always argued that well, we were teaching the world to fish, and there weren't a lot of experienced anglers And who didn't have great electronics back then. And if we could find fish, we could usually catch them. And Doug was sure. always a stickler on refining the presentation, and sometimes I'd poo-poo it because I'd still catch fish. Well, as the fish become more pressured, as we see more people fishing the same areas, everybody's got great electronics they're getting they're doing their homework there's resources they're able to find out where to fish and and where the fish are biting but like you said those fish get pressured first move away from the pressure if you can but if you can't you better start understanding presentations jr um pierce from colorado clays are a perfect example of that we went out to a small lake chasing panfish we went and drilled a bunch of holes found fish couldn't got one or two. Couldn't get them to go. Moved around. Couldn't really find any other fish. Went back to those and just really fine tuned our presentation till we could figure out what they were doing. And then we caught a couple dozen fish. But presentation Definitely. and that natural presentation, like you just said, right now might be more important than ever. Definitely.
1: And I mean, I kind of think about this like if you're you're having a, a lot of hunting pressure in areas. area. So whether it's geese or deer or elk. You have to change what you're doing when you have a lot of people out hunting. You can't be sloppy with what you're doing. You have to make sure to have the wind in your correct direction. You have to make sure to have your decoy spread set correctly, blah, blah, blah. You can go on and on and on. But the same thing happens with fishing, and I don't think people realize that enough. They go and they do the same thing over and over again, and particularly in lakes like 11 Mile or Antero that have been taking extreme pressure this year refining that presentation and doing something maybe slightly different and more natural is absolutely critical to catching fish right now
0: well and you made a mention of moving away from the crowd sometimes when i go to a popular lake and you always have a group of ice fishermen because it's kind of a social sport right definitely and sometimes i'll move just 50 yards or so off of that group or maybe even not quite that far and kind of circle that group even if it's not exactly the depth i think i want or the structure because I get the feeling these fish are getting pushed out of there. And I want, to get, I, want them to, I want to be in a path when they come out of there and get pushed out. The other thing, of course, you and I have talked a lot about is going to a place that maybe doesn't get as much pressure. You and I talked about this a little, a little uh, during the week earlier. Rifle Gap, go there after the perch yep. or the walleyes. Or how about a reservoir like Vega? Or, you know, go after some brook trout. There's brook trout opportunities if you're willing to hike in a little bit. Definitely. Places like the Grand Mesa
1: have been working really, really well. I've been hearing some vague reports from up there, not necessarily specific lakes, but people are snowmobiling and snowshoeing in and and catching a lot of nice fish in places like that and then adjusting yourself and maybe thinking about a steamboat or a stagecoach. I know I've mentioned it before, and it's a long drive, but if you can get up there and and get away from some of those crowds, some of your same presentations that that you're used to fishing with, with some brighter pinks and oranges and and various spoon options – we'll still work in a place like that with a lot less pressure. So and the other thing that is kind of interesting right now is a lot of those high mountain lakes get a lot of snow and a lot of slush. Unfortunately, we're not getting snow this year, but for an ice fisherman, it allows travel on the ice to be a lot easier with less slush than we would normally be seeing in a year like this.
0: Yeah, so move around more. Be more mobile. Get around. Try new areas. If you're not seeing fish or catching them, if if you've got electronics, you're not seeing fish, move. If you move a few yeah. times, you're seeing fish and you can't get them to bite, it's time to start fine-tuning your presentation. And I love what you said about natural colors. All year long in pressured waters, I'm a huge fan of pressured colors, I of neutral colors. I think they yeah. just don't spook fish and they give you opportunities to get fish to bite that otherwise wouldn't.
1: Yeah, and, and going back to what you were saying there, too, about uh, using your electronics and marking fish, I think that a lot of people try and be too patient when they're ice fishing. They they get in a spot, they don't want to move because it's kind of an effort-filled situation when you're trying to take your tent up and everything. But when I'm ice fishing, particularly for trout, if I'm not marking fish nearly immediately, I'm thinking about moving. And I always consider myself a very impatient fisherman like that, whether I'm guiding in the open water or if I'm ice fishing. But if I'm not seeing fish, I don't like fishing in the blank water. I'm going to get up. I'm going to move. And I think that's something that, that if, if people would do that a little bit more, I think that a lot of people would, uh, people would catch a lot more fish.
0: You're preaching to the choir, right? Hey, tell you what, Austin, <laughs> I want to put you on hold, and I want to come back, and I want to touch on there's some people that just don't want to ice fish or they're re- anxious for open water. There are some open water opportunities. So when I get back, let's talk about a few of those, okay? That sounds great to me. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back, and then Austin and I will talk to you about open water opportunities right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right back to the phones. We've been talking fishing with one of our favorite contributors, Austin Parr. Good good, good morning again, Austin.
1: Thanks once again for having me, Terry. and. Certainly uh, looking forward uh, to getting out on some open water like we've been talking about, but uh, it, we're right on the cusp of, of some change coming up here.
0: I think so. now we're going to get some cold weather there's going to be, and there's going to be ice fishing in the mountains up through April typically Absolutely. we'll see how that goes. That goes. We don't want to dissuade anybody from getting out ice fishing, but some people just don't want to ice fish, or they want to do both, or they're just open-water fanatics. And whether they're fly fishermen or conventional fishermen, there are year-round opportunities in Colorado. Let's talk about those first, and we'll talk about what's coming up. First of all, we have a lot of tailwaters here. Definitely.
1: That's what always comes to mind. For me, first, if you're wanting to open-water fish in the wintertime, uh, tailwater that is underneath a bottom release dam on a river is going to largely stay open for the entire year no matter what the weather conditions are surrounding it. So places like uh, the uh, Pueblo River uh, below Pueblo Reservoir, or excuse me, Arkansas below Pueblo Reservoir here as I'm becoming tongue-tied here. Um, The ark can be absolutely fantastic below Pueblo. Uh, There's a fantastic population of rainbows that are underneath there with a few browns mixed in, and and really a a surprisingly large number of fish and really solid size down there. It maintains a year-round fishery, and a place like that can be fantastic for a fly angler if you want to go down and and uh, fish with midges, uh, it's a very good spot for things like a uh, bars, pure midge larva, uh, small betas are going to be coming off down there too, so mixing in uh, some of your bars and mergers rs2s can be fantastic as well as jujubatis all different fantastic options down there and even if you want to dry fly fish it could be a good spot to do that in the winter time but conventional anglers can also have success throwing small jerk baits like a berkeley head stick or various standard spinners also are effective down there you can also go and, and fish deckers or cheeseman canyon that's a, a body of water that fishes all year long it's been a bit crowded there But even some more out-of-the-way locations like South Boulder Creek below Gross Reservoir or the Big Thompson below Lake Estes all can be fantastic with some of the same type of patterns we just mentioned uh, with maybe a little bit less dry fly activity than you see in a warmer-type climate like down in Pueblo.
0: You know, before we go to some other types of opportunities, I want winter fly fishing. I've had some of my best trips, and, you know, a lot of people go, you know, the Taylor, they go to below Rudeye, they go to some of these trophy fish places, the Dreamstream. But yes. even rivers, like you mentioned the Big Thompson, it probably doesn't get as much pressure as some of those places. But the, when you, I remember filming a television show where it was 20 below on a Saturday, so we put off filming that weekend. The next Saturday, it was like 20, 25 above. And when we got there, there was still some ice on the edges and things. But the fish were in the deep pools and gathered up. There were, must have been, I don't know if there was a 50 fish or a 100 fish or 200 fish in some of these holes. But if you made a good drift through that hole, you could catch a fish, take it out of there without even spooking the others because there were so many. I could have stood in one spot all day. We didn't. We moved. But some of my best fly fishing has been in winter months.
1: Yeah, and not to mention it's good production, but also a lot of times less crowd places like deckers and cheeseman can get hit pretty hard but a lot of people are not really wanting to drive that far and uh, especially in in a a tailwater like the big thompson like you mentioned that may not be taking quite the publicity the wintertime takes a lot of anglers out of the equation so if you want to go and have a less crowded environment on some popular rivers it is a fantastic time to do that whether you're a fly fisherman or a conventional angler
0: now there are if you're a yeah you can fish all these waters conventionally now Other good opportunities for conventional anglers, Pueblo Reservoir, parts of it stay open year-round. You can even get out in a boat. But one of the things people don't realize is during the winter, the rainbow trout that are very prolific in that lake and quite large that you never see in the summer months come close to shore. And there are open water opportunities even right here in Denver,
1: right? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of these lakes are thought of as warm water fisheries and certainly managed that way for the most part. But... Uh, Lakes like Chatfield and Pueblo and Aurora all have really good deep water that holds stocked fish over the summertime without having them die in that warmer water. And really some fantastic sized fish, as you mentioned, are are available right here. So if you want to go and make a run down to Pueblo and maybe fish the lake and the river at once, you can catch great fish with maybe a multi-species option mixed in in the lake with a smallmouth or a walleye potentially. But Chatfield only really is solidly iced on the south end of the lake. There's good open water on the north side in areas. And so you can get those trout that are moving along the shorelines and in, in uh, decent schools at times. And being the trout are so much more active in the cold water, you can catch a lot of them sometimes. So it can be a really good good thing to think about, whether you're wanting to shore fish down here or up up in your neck of the woods at places like Carter. A lot of that stays open all year as well.
0: Now, we only have about a minute, minute and a half left. But I want to make a comment to a lot of people who, who wait to get ready for spring fishing. We saw what happened to the supply chain last year because of COVID. You need to be going through your summer tackle right now, finding out what you've got, what you're going to need to get, and start preparing and replacing now, don't you think? Yeah, and
1: I don't want to sound like a salesman like this because obviously I'm I'm co-owner of a tackle store. But the supply that is going to happen this summertime, I think is really going to not be that much better than it was last year. Um, I mean, with with where we're seeing with with stuff coming from overseas, how the supply is right now with ice fishing stuff and overall, everything is behind schedule. So I cannot emphasize it enough. If you need a new rod or a reel, if you need some specific lures, I would be looking right now and get some of the stuff in order and hope that you can find something you need later um, on a smaller level. But it definitely is. is, I, I don't think it's going to get much better in the near future.
0: I think the number one thing I would do right now is first check my rods and reels and some lures, but I'd also check my line and get some line ordered.
1: Yeah. I mean, line last year was very challenging to get, and hopefully
0: it'll get better. All right, my friend. Thank you for all the great information. If people want to talk to you or want to book a guide trip or want more information, where do they find you? I'm at Discount
1: Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe.
0: All right. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. You bet. Austin Parr, great resource. Speaking of great resources, we've got Nate Slowenski coming up. He's got a great event going on. We're going to take a quick timeout, and then we're going to go out there and find out how many fish they are catching at the, his ice tournament right now on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.